every part in our in our manufacturing ecosystem is tied to a customer part number tied to a manufacturing part number and we have so much data that moves through the the system between the OEMs and EMS and distributors and suppliers so i had the idea you know we have all this data and you have in such enhancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning so the idea was using an independent third party that would analyze the raw demand that was coming through the ecosystem against industry reports for what growth targets were expected for you know different uh different companies different industries macroeconomic events you know and what that would be you're listening to transform talks the podcast about global supply chain transformation i'm maria villablanca co-founder and ceo of future insights network a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. My guest this week is Lynn Terrell. Lynn is the Chief Procurement and Supply Chain Officer at Flex, the manufacturing partner of choice that helps a diverse customer base design and build products to improve the world. Since joining Flex in 2019, Lynn has been responsible for the company's direct and indirect materials, transportation and logistics, business operations, materials management, and strategic supply chain management. Before she joined Flex, Lynn held several leadership roles at Avnet, spanning global supply chain solutions, strategic accounts, and semiconductor business development, among others. And in May 2019, she was named one of the outstanding women in business by the Phoenix Business Journal. Okay, so we all know that the supply chain world has had to deal with major disruptions over the past few years. People are going to point to the pandemic and geopolitical instability as the major causes of these issues, and they're not wrong, of course. But we also know that there's a lot more to this. The industry's long-held and somewhat archaic processes are also to blame. So Lynn has been working hard to improve on this, and one way in which she's doing it is through the True Demand Initiative. Her goal is to establish an independent third-party organization that can receive and analyze data from various stakeholders and then make recommendations about future demand. It's for this reason that I'm really excited to have her on the show. And during this episode, Lynn and I discuss the thought process behind the True Demand Initiative, the responsibility that customers have when it comes to improving demand forecasts, and why it's time for the supply chain to come together. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for being here. Hi, Maria. Pleasure to be here. So I've got a lot of questions for you, and I will try to be nice because I know you've got a bit of jet lag, so I will try not to ask you too many questions. So I want to just kick off with a bit of research we did on our side and an article that we read about uh, you after graduating wanting to pursue a career as a broadcast investigative journalist, which sounds pretty awesome. So what do you make of the recent proliferation of supply chain media and content that we're seeing today? Do you think it's uh, actually helped us articulate the value of the field to uh, the general populace? Absolutely, I think it does. You know, for many years, supply chains operated in the background, you know, with the expectation to deliver the right part at the right price at the right time, you know, to to manage manufacturing. 
and to deliver year-on-year -year cost savings, but really you know, operating in the background for many organizations. And the supply chain disruptions we've experienced over the past few years has really elevated the profession and brought it to the mindset of being a business enabler that it is, because it's just as important how you source your products, where you source your products from, and how your supply chain works, as it is what, how products are manufactured and delivered. So I think it's done a, a really good job of elevating the profession. You're seeing more and more C-suite roles of chief supply chain officers that are having a seat at the table now as companies are embracing the, the benefit of a very strong and robust supply chain. In looking towards the future, I think it, the importance of the role is going to continue to grow because it is always adapting to geopolitical factors, weather events, driving, you know, determining how to drive a resilient supply chain. So it's, it's done really well, I think, for the profession. I mean, it's, it's a pretty exciting place to be. You know, I used to always say that, I don't know, 10, 15, five years ago, pre-pandemic, those of us that were in the supply chain knew how important supply chain was and what a big deal it was. The world all of a sudden became aware of how important supply chain is during the pandemic. If there's anything good that came out of that, it's the what I call my my neighbor test. You know, if I had told my neighbors five years ago what I did, they'd be like, "What? What is supply chain?" Whereas now they know. Everyone knows what supply chain is. Do you think there's a little bit further to go to get more seats in the management or executive level for supply chain to really convey the value that or how integral it is to the business process of a business? I do think, you know, there's definitely a ways to go. In companies like Flex, where we are a global supply chain provider and manufacturing partner to our customers, it's it's clear the importance of supply chain. But in, in many cases, it's still seen as, as a cost center uh, that needs to, you know, kind of continuously innovate and deliver cost savings, which of course, that, that goes without saying. But when, you know, people talk about, you know, having an agile supply chain and a resilient supply chain, and a lot of that comes about with the design of the supply chain. And it's not just the bill of materials, but it's the manufacturing and, and final delivery of products. And so I think that as companies and really look into what they're trying to achieve, their core goals, and then look at designing and delivering a supply chain that can deliver those needs, it will, it will show how, how important it is to those roles that they do come together because you want to have your manufacturing team working with your design team you know, as you're making decisions for the future. An, an example is a lot of the supply chain challenges we've had over the past two years have been semiconductor related as, as you know people know and a lot of time it's very early in the design phase that critical decisions are made that can impact your supply chain for years so you know at flex we we've created a, a joint risk management tool so using all of our data um, that we have with our supply base and our technical capabilities and we work with our customers to look at early in the design stage where there might be potential problems in the future because of where a part is within its life cycle, how many customers uh, might be using that type of component, uh, the quality and, and uh, capabilities of the supplier that is being chosen. So you know, when you think about that aspect of supply chain, 
it's using the supply chain knowledge at the design stage to enable a business to succeed. So I do think, um, you know, many companies are going to continue to see the importance of uh, bringing together those senior leaders across all disciplines within a company, including supply chain, uh, going forward. At the end of the day, it's just going to give competitive advantage, isn't it, it to have a strong, agile, resilient supply chain? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I want to talk about your True Demand Initiative. I'm very fascinated by the work that you've been doing in this area. And from what I understand, your goal is to establish an independent third-party organization that can receive and analyze data from various stakeholders and then make recommendations about future demand. Could you tell us a little bit more about the thought process that went into this and how you envisage it working in the long term? Well, thank you for the question because it's a, a very um, important topic and something I'm, I'm quite passionate about. The concept of true demand came about in probably the June 2021 timeframe. Uh, so we're past, you know, the first year of the pandemic. Semiconductor shortages are heavy. A lot, it's impacting, you know, businesses around the world, and we're seeing lead times go out from suppliers and had been going out for months and parts becoming non-cancelable, non-returnable and customers forecast increasing, you know, quite a bit during that time. So very unstable. Um, on top of that, all of the weather related events that were taking place, we don't have to get into, but one of the things I recognize having been in this industry for a long time, I've been through other cycles and we were following kind of the same patterns that we had in the past where, you know, demand outstrips supply, lead times go out, prices go up. There's, you know, a lot of broker buy activity going on, additional costs going into the market. Investments are made and, you know, it takes time for that cycle, that semiconductor manufacturing cycle for the output. So investments are made, output comes, and then you have supply outstripping demand. And then that leads to periods of excess inventory and the bullwhip effect. The bullwhip, yeah, exactly. Bullwhip effect. And I was sitting in my office one day and I thought, we're just doing the same thing. Like, as much as I was concerned about shortages, I was just as concerned about the forecast and the inventory and the uh, uneasiness that everybody had with the quality of the data that they were receiving. So I thought about having every part in our, in our, manufacturing ecosystem is tied to a customer part number tied to a manufacturing part number. And we have so much data that moves through the, the system between the OEMs and EMS and distributors and suppliers. So I had the idea, you know, we have all this data and you have in such enhancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning. So the idea was using an independent third party that would analyze the raw demand that was coming through the ecosystem against industry reports for what growth targets were expected for, you know, different, uh, different companies, different industries, macroeconomic events, you know, and what that would be, uh, what, how that would impact the supply chain and talk to a number of people, uh, about the concept. And the answer was the, the technology is there. The security is there. It's getting people to participate. So spent quite a bit of time bringing together this coalition. So we have uh, founding members of the coalition from uh, representing OEMs, EMS, distributors, and semiconductor and IP&E suppliers. 
And what we're working on now is working with an independent third party, and we're working with Microsoft. And we're at the, we've formed the 501c6, and we're going to be doing a proof of concept, looking at uh, some technology and, and what the outputs would be. And hopefully, uh, hopefully soon have a product that uh, people can participate, send their information in, and receive data. And, and it will all, you know, we're following all antitrust guidelines and everything. But so people will only receive information relevant to them. So as an example, a semiconductor supplier will be able to see their raw demand coming through their normal signals, but they'll also see from the independent third party the rationalized demand that takes into consideration all the AI ML information that we're bringing to it. And they'll be able to say, this is your second piece of information. And with that, they'll be able to make the decisions they want to make. So it's broadening the, the depth of data that decision-making will be done on. on. On a different scale, an OEM may be able to, will we'll be able to be told like, hey, in, in 18 months, you're going to have a supply chain problem because, you know, the, the end of life going on, fewer companies per producing the product, whatever the analysis may show. So you might want to get ahead on uh, a redesign of, of that technology that will help streamline uh, your supply chain in the future. And it's, again, just more, more data being used to drive more intelligent decisions. So I'm, I'm very happy because that we've brought together really senior leaders in the industry um, that are all, you know, working on this and, and, volunteering their time and energy and we'll, we'll see what the future holds. But the, the thought is pretty powerful across the members that are participating, that as supply chain professionals working through such a disruptive environment, we have a responsibility to look for new and innovative ways to forecast demand to hopefully mitigate uh, supply chain disruptions in the future. I mean, it sounds like a, an amazing project. It, and what I think strikes me more is that it's sort of taking the demand signal and taking it to the next level of growth, right? A, a more, like, I like what you said, the intelligent demand signal, because there's so many different signals and they're inflated by so many different events. What I like more about what you're saying, though, is the whole collaborative nature of this, the, the fact that you've established a coalition, the fact that you've brought all the stakeholders or as many stakeholders as possible to the table. I imagine that when pitching this idea, it sounded like a great idea, but what, what kind of um, teething issues or advice uh, would you have or any lessons learned of the process? You know, I think um, it, it takes time. Uh, certainly in this case, the right away questions surrounded, well, how are we going to protect the data? How are you going to protect pricing? And we made decisions like, for instance, we wrote, we did, this isn't about pricing. It's, it, there's no intent. It's, a, it's about the demand and trying to ease it. So we actually wrote into our bylaws that we will not share pricing information. And it was actually against lawyers' advice because they said, well, it, it's always difficult if you write it in the bylaws to change it. I said, well, then let's write it in the bylaws because, you know, we really don't want it's sensitive. So it's, it's, we'll take out pricing and just do um, quantity. And then of course the security uh, of the data, which was important to people to understand how we'll secure the data. And that's 
will be, you know, it will be anonymized coming in and how, how that works. So it was overcoming some of those hurdles of, you know, that aspect. It was also much learning along the way um, for, I think, a lot of the people involved. I think was the most energizing for me was there wasn't a single person I talked to that said, this will never work, or that said, this isn't a good idea. What I heard was, this is a bold idea that could have significant impact to the global supply chain. It, it, you know, it's, it's innovative. It's something people want to work on. And in addition, by the way, of, of having the representatives from the ecosystem, you know, I think a good decision we made was going the harder route of forming our own coalition. Because I thought about like trying to tuck it into uh, an existing um, industry association where it could be a, a project. But there was no association that represented all of the needs of the members of the ecosystem. So taking that decision to go, okay, it makes more sense to form this coalition properly and maybe a little bit more work to do that. The other thing was just gathering some some experts across the industry as well as the academia. So, for instance, I have um, Yossi Sheffi from MIT and Hao Lee from Stanford participating on the coalition. Um, I have Gartner involved and to give some guidance and ECIA, Electronic Components Industry Association and IPC. So it's not just the uh, members of the ecosystem that, the, that are working, but bringing in those academia and associations to help guide and develop uh, the solution. And that, that's what I think uh, is a differentiator for the project is really wanting to be holistic in listening to and understanding everybody's potential concerns as we develop the solution. And, and, then, and it's gonna continue to innovate. That's one of the coolest things about a, a, a program based on this is the tool will continue to learn and, and get better. And at, at the end of the day, it's, it's just another data point. It's not, no, people will still be free to make the right decisions for their own organizations. I really love the collaborative nature of this. I love the fact that you're involving so many different people, including academia. I think it's fantastic. I want to ask you a little bit about the consumer or really the uh, the customer, because uh, we know that during shortages, uh, customers are known to place the same order a lot of times with multiple suppliers, which uh, only you know gives us some false inflated demand figures. So what responsibility do you think that the customers have when it comes to improving demand forecasts? Yeah, I always... Um... Believe, I never like like the, the double ordering uh, that that just becomes a challenge uh, for everyone involved, especially when you know, suppliers are determining how to allocate the parts. But I do think sometimes that uh, the demand just gets inflated as well, just because people are very enthusiastic about their potential market opportunities. And, you know, historically, we've operated with the OEMs having a great deal of flexibility. You know, short lead times, competitive prices, 30-day cancellation windows. Um, so I think more what we see is customers being enthusiastic about their market growth. So say you have an industry that's projecting it's going to grow 20% next year and you have, you know, four dominant players. 
and they all project what that market growth for their industry is going to be for next year, as they should, because they'll all be excited about their technology and, and their go-to-market strategy. Well, right there, the you know forecast is inflated because of that. Um, so ideally, true demand will be able to see all those announcements you know, the, the, the independent third party will be able to recognize and adjust to those. But we're not really expecting a, a, a change of human behavior that is going to drive a different result. That's why we're looking at the AI and ML to help with the analysis. Yeah, because if you throw in human behavior, you get a bit of chaos to some degree because there's there's not a lot of prediction. I mean, who would have predicted the hoarding of toilet paper, right, during during the pandemic? So that's, I guess, what makes us human. So so what's next for True Demand? I mean, it, it sounds like you're already at a really fascinating stage, but uh, what are we looking at in the next year or two or five years? Well, I think um, over, you know, the next few months, we'll be doing a proof of concept because up till now, it's been ever, you know, ideas talking around and kind of covering all of the legalities and how we would address this going to market. So we need to move forward uh, with a proof of concept and getting companies to, you know, uh, aware of the initiative. I think once we have that proof of concept and it's showing the, the different data that will become available will more broadly go and uh, publish true demand because the more people who participate, the better the data. And so when once we have that next step of what, what we expect and the, the differentiated information that's provided out of the independent third party, as well as the cost analysis for participating, we'll go out more broadly um, uh, push or educate customers of what we're trying to achieve, um, customer suppliers all, all around the ecosystem. And then, you know, I, I'm hoping that it's uh, another like maybe 12 to 18 months of, you know, hard work getting this off the ground. And then it just starts uh, generating results that help everybody in the ecosystem and people want to participate and are comfortable with the, the structure we put in place and the security that we've put in place. And the mindfulness of how we're approaching this. So, and and one other aspect that's cool about True Demand is it's not limited to the electronics industry. It could be, the principles could be applied to any industry that was looking at, you know, having supply demand problems, which is pretty much every industry. So, and it's not a, it, it's never going to be a, you know, 100% solution, right? There's always going to be events that impact a supply chain, whether it be uh, geopolitical or, or weather-related events, whatever it may be, but hopefully it will mitigate and, and not be as disruptive in the future. So that's what we're really looking forward to. But you know, Lynn, every time I go to events and talk to people, resilience and agility is really much the order of the day. And so I'm, I was kind of getting a little bit sick of all this theoretical conversation around resilience, right? So what does it actually mean? Uh, what does it actually mean? And, and I think that solutions like this could help. Like you say, there's nothing 100%, right? But it could help mitigate risk and uh, really soften the blow of any kind of major disruption that comes, comes our way. Well, I hope you stay in contact with us because it would be great to find out how you're progressing with it because it could be a game changer for the whole industry. 
Yeah, well, I hopefully I'll come back in a few months and be able to provide a, a great update on the progress that we're making. I feel sometimes like it's going slower uh, than I'd like it to. But at the same time, it's a very disruptive type of uh, solution we're, we're bringing in. It does need to be a very thoughtful approach. So at, at other times, I think, boy, we're moving quite fast. I kind of understand how why that would work, why that would be. So, Lynn, we reached the end of our segment, and I have one final question that I always ask everybody, uh, which is about a book, um, whether it's a personal book or a business book, anything that's made an impact on your life, and why? Early in my career, I uh, read Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, and that was uh, a book that just kind of resonated with me from the fact that, you know, you, you want to proceed, you want to proceed in your career, and in advance and develop, but at the same time, your personal ethics and your authenticity are just as important as you move forward. So that was one that just kind of blended for me and brought that together. Just be an authentic leader, make uh, good decisions with a strong moral compass, and you'll succeed in life. And that's been something that has just always uh, reassured, reassured me on my journey. I think that's an important message. Lynn, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for chatting to us on Transform Talks and hopefully we'll see you soon. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.